Our scripture today is from Acts 5, verses 27 through 32. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given us, given to those who obey him. The gospel reading for the morning is from the 20th chapter of John's gospel. Matthew, Luke, and John paint vivid portraits of what life was like after Easter, and this perhaps one of the more vivid and revealing. Listen for God's word. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Church historian Martin Marty recalls a summer day when he was eight years old when a grand miracle of childhood occurred, a watermelon truck overturned right in front of his house. <laughs> the uninjured driver jumped out to watch as kids from the neighborhood came from everywhere and dove into the spilled cargo for a sticky picnic right there on the pavement, right in front of his house. That's the good news. The bad news was Martin Marty wasn't home that day. He was visiting his grandmother. He missed it. 
He never saw the overturned truck, never got to take part in the sticky feast. Life is like that sometimes. We are where the action isn't. While lucky ones are catching, bouncing watermelons, we're miles away playing gin rummy with our grandmother. Such is the story of Thomas. It's Easter evening, and Jesus, newly raised from the dead, appears to the disciples who are hiding out, kind of behind locked doors until things calm down. And John says, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The watermelon truck of Easter overturned right in Thomas' neighborhood, and all the children of God are feasting on the sweetness of Jesus raised to life, and Thomas is miles away where the action wasn't. When he returned, and the other disciples, their chins sticky from the sweet nectar of God's glory, told him what happened, Thomas would have none of it. I don't believe it, he said, and who are you? What kind of credibility do you have, you who denied him and betrayed him and abandoned him? Unless I see it for myself, I will not believe. And as it came to pass, eight days later, the watermelon truck turned over again, and this time Thomas was there to see it and uttered that phrase of obedience and hope, my Lord and my God. Now it's traditional with this familiar text to focus on the doubts of Peter. Peter needed, or Thomas needed proof. And Jesus said, blessed are those who don't Uh, see and still believe. And doubters like Thomas, like you and me, can leave feeling convicted yet comforted that at the end, if you'll notice in the text, Jesus didn't seem to mind much that Thomas needed proof. Or maybe it makes us feel chastened and discouraged that somewhere there are actually people who do believe without seeing and we're just sorry we're not among them. I don't think this text about doubting Thomas is about doubting Thomas at all. I don't think this text is about doubt, period. In the context of John's gospel, this text is about the gracious, faithful initiative of God. Thomas doesn't serve to show us what faith is made of or what it lacks. Thomas is used by John to show again the lengths God will go to show love and grace and power. God will send even a child into the world. God will let that child be killed by the powers of the world. God will raise this Jesus from the dead and even then God doesn't stop. God is ceaseless in taking initiative to reach out to every single Thomas there is, including you and including me, Do you see what happened when Jesus came to that locked room for the first time to assure scared and timid disciples that he who was crucified was risen and alive again? He looked around and Thomas wasn't there. And that sets me to wondering, what if Thomas hadn't been there a week later when Jesus returned? What if Thomas was still absent then? How many times do you think Jesus would have returned until he found Thomas there? Would he returned a third time? How about 10 times? Would he have returned 70 times? How about 70 times seven? There once was a woman, Jesus said, who lost a coin, and she lit a lamp, and she swept, and she swept, and she swept. What, until she got tired? No. 
until she found what was lost. How many times would Jesus have overturned that watermelon truck hoping that this time Thomas was there to see it? If the message of the empty tomb means anything at all, it's that there's more grace in God than there is doubt in us. I think that means that old truck would have taken quite a beating before Jesus was through with Thomas. There is seldom, if ever, a no so definite that God will take it as a final answer. No door so locked that God won't pick the lock. No heart so dead that God won't massage it back to life. And no Thomas so absent that God will not continue to show up until God finds Thomas at home. Easter works like God's watermelon truck. We can tend to get mixed up in debates about what happened at Easter. And when we do that, we've missed the point of who happened. That's Thomas, of course. He wanted empirical proof. He wanted proof about it. When Jesus appears to him, however, did you notice in the text, Thomas appears to forget all about actually needing to place his hands in the nail holes and in Jesus' side. Thomas wanted proof what he got was presence. It's that shift from proof to presence in which lies the power, the mystery, the miracle of Easter, and the unstoppable love of God. But where does this leave all us? It, it seems almost beside the point to be worrying about proof, about who Jesus didn't appear to, and who got left out on Easter's great watermelon truck adventure. I mean, this place was packed last Sunday. I mean, I'm glad that you're here, don't get me wrong. You get extra points for that for something. But maybe this text is given to us each year, the Sunday after Easter Day, to remind us that it's relatively easy to draw a crowd. Almost anybody can get a crowd if you're ramped up to get a crowd. You find a day and you attach uh, to that day uh, brunch and bonnets and a day of family and festival and in church a day of brass and, and lilies and pageantry. You'll draw a crowd. But who's not there at that Easter when all the crowd has gathered? Who, who's not there when all the alleluias have been sung? Who's not there to hear the amazing news that the crucified one is now risen and the risen one was the one who is crucified and because of that hope endures. And we all know every single one of us needs an enduring hope. Every single one of us in this room needs that. Every single person in this world needs an enduring hope. In all the Easter crowd then, Who's not there? Some of our oldest, confined to a nursing home, hoping this will be the week that someone visits. They're not there. A kid in jail, trying to look so tough, but crying and hurt and scared. When he gets out, he needs to get his life straight. No one can do that on their own. Would we make space for him here if he found his way here? Who is left out of the Easter crowd? The 16-year-old girl rushed intimacy, now expecting, so alone, so isolated, 
so judged? Who's not there in the Easter crowd? The trembling woman in the leaky, barely put together shack who is praying somehow to scrape together the money to get the utilities turned back down. You know who's not there? The 50-year-old man who has worked hard most of his life for sub-wages and who has nothing to show for it. And he gets up on Sunday morning and he looks in the mirror and he says, I have nothing to offer. Neither is the 24-year-old whose life is hanging by a thread, facing a mountain of suspicion. And the one time she walked into a church in the last five years, not one person spoke to her. And she left and she hasn't been back since. She's not there. And there are those who have been told all their life that they are different. They don't fit in. Women, blacks, those who have been marginalized, they're not there. The church has spent centuries trying to figure out where to put the fence. And in doing so, we've squandered the precious gifts of God. Do you know who isn't there? The children of the prosperous, whose parents have said all along, we want our children to have a better life than us. We want to give them everything. Oh, now church, that's their choice. The people who are not present on Easter to hear this news of enduring hope are so, so numerous we cannot count. I attended a church conference last year where the theme running through all the days was what is next? What's next for the church? What's next for ministry? What's next for mission? Respectfully, I think today's text lit, lets us discover the true question is not what's next. The true question for a church is always who is next? Who's missing from Easter? Who needs this enduring hope of Jesus Christ who is crucified and is now the risen one? It's all these folks, including all of us some of the time or all of the time, along with folks who have felt put down or left out or passed over, along with those whose pain is so hidden but so real along with all for whom faith is day-to-day, hand-to-hand combat with God, along with new generations of women and men, girls and boys, struggling to find authentic faith in Jesus Christ, but for whom the institutional deck in church is so stacked that they can't catch a glimpse. Increasingly, We have multiple generations of spiritually hungry, institutionally suspicious people who will never come in the door of any church ever. Either we go to them geographically as well as spiritually, or we will never meet them. Never get to share with them the enduring hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our dislocation in service of ministry, seems like an imperative after we have experienced Easter. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to go to the lengths God went with Thomas? Can we leave behind every non-essential but deeply loved and cherished? And here's the moment that you fill in that blank. What is that for you, that cherished wonderful, precious thing that is wonderful and yet non-essential, can we let that go so we can say to hungry, absent seekers, 
that the crucified one is the living one, and so we hope, and so we love. The story of Thomas is such a gift to us this Sunday after Easter Day. I think Thomas stands as a reminder to each of us that a real church doesn't just count and say, what was the size of the crowd last Sunday? A real church says, who was not here? I think Thomas reminds us that God is going to go everywhere. God is going to do anything to bring joy and hope and faith of Easter to everyone. There's no stopping God ever, but especially at Easter. There's no stopping God. You want proof? Here are the nail holes. Are you in pain and you need to talk to God about it, yell at God about it? Well, Put your hand in the side of Jesus. You aren't here. God will find you in some locked room. And God will knock and God will pick the lock and God will come on your own terms in ways you can recognize. You need God to touch your heart. You need God both to disturb and comfort you at the same time. You need this way to get the gospel or that way to get the gospel. God will offer all of that in support of Easter hope. Or God will barge through a locked door, whatever it takes. You need a watermelon truck to overturn in front of your house? We can arrange that. Early in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has come onto the scene, and he's making a big splash. There's a lot of buzz about Jesus. The the crowds are flocking. To him. So in the midst of this, he gets away to a deserted place to pray. Soon after, Peter finds him there and says, Everyone is searching for you. You've kind of become a big deal. We've got a big crowd waiting for you. And Jesus says, We're going to go on to neighboring towns because that's what we came to do. That's exactly what Jesus is saying through Thomas Come on. Come on. There are many, 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 many others who aren't part of the crowd. And that's where Jesus is headed today to them. And that's where we're asked to go to. So the question is not the length God will go to share Easter hope. We see that right here with Thomas. The question is, what length will I go? What length will you go? To what length will we stretch and move together so that everyone who needs to hear the word hears the word, that the crucified one is risen and the risen one was the crucified one and so we hope and so hope endures. Easter is always, always about who is not here. Not as an observation, but as an imperative. Easter is always about a God who is not going to stop until everybody gets to share the joy, everyone gets to feel God's grace, until every person can experience in a way they can recognize and take in the hope that comes from being able to say full-throated, Christ is risen. Friends, Christ is risen. Amen. Amen.